But we have some wonderful words of life before us this morning. Proverbs chapter 13, verses 2 through 6. And I invite you to find it in your Bibles. And you also might note, I keep pointing you to the bulletin. I've kind of changed things up on the bulletin a little bit, including that tear-off tab. I put in there a little bit of a guide to listen to the sermon and take notes, and it'll give you some prompts to help keep you focused and on track in case I get boring. I know it's never happened yet in these 13 years, but you never know when it could strike. This could help you stay on track and give you a little bit of a grip on how to receive the sermon, and then you can tear it off and take it with you, and it'd be a reminder for you. And it could give some fuel to our discussion after the service when we meet in the fellowship hall to go ahead and start responding to and applying this passage. So you have that in hand, and you have Proverbs chapter 13, verses uh, 2 through 4, actually, open before you. And I'd like to begin just by reading the passage, and then we'll get into the content of it. Uh, Before we do, I'm just curious, has anyone already given up any of their New Year's resolutions? Has anyone started off the New Year resolved to do better at fill-in-the-blank and already abandoned it? Well, you wouldn't admit it if you had. I bet you have. We are, as Christians, we want to do something better than the same New Year's resolutions every year that everybody in the world attempts to do. We want to renew our embrace of God's path, God's good, well-ordered way. And so we return to the book of Proverbs. We want to remember that life is a series of steps, and those steps make up the direction of our lives. And that direction over time brings us to our destination. God has laid it out before us. It is a satisfying path. That's the the topic and the theme of our passage today, the satisfying path. So let's read verses 2 through 4 of Proverbs chapter 13. From the fruit of his mouth, a man eats what is good, but the desire of the treacherous is for violence. Whoever guards his mouth preserves his life. He who opens wide his lips comes to ruin. The soul of the sluggard craves and gets nothing, while the soul of the diligent is richly supplied. And we'll stop there. That's enough for us this morning. So the first thing I want to point out to you from this passage, it's a very straightforward passage. I think it's going to be easy to understand and very applicable to life when we leave this church today. The first thing I want to point out to you from this passage is that when you walk God's path, you'll be satisfied. When you walk God's path, you'll be satisfied. Let me read verse 2 again and show you what, it, what I mean. Verse 2, from the fruit of his mouth, a man eats what is good, but the desire of the treacherous is for violence. One of Meredith's gifts, gifts for, for, uh, for Christmas this year came from Elias, and it was an air fryer. Does anyone have an air fryer? I don't know what kind of witchcraft. <laughs> I don't even know what it does, but it really produces good food. I don't know how it's different from an oven. Like, I'm genuinely asking. I don't really know what's going on in there. Is it just a small oven? I don't know. I'm ignorant about the mechanics of it, but it does produce good food. And Meredith has made tons of stuff in it already since Christmas. But one of the most impressive things is how you can reheat a slice of pizza in it. Compared to a piece of pizza reheated in the microwave, it's like a completely different 
food group. It is so good. So that air fryer produces good food. That good food satisfies and nourishes us. That's the imagery that God means to evoke in this verse. The fruit of his mouth produces good food for the wise person that's walking God's path. When we use our words according to God's ways, they are productive of good things that in turn satisfy us. Words are productive. They produce things. How did God create everything? He spoke it into existence. He said, let there be, and it was. How does God create new life in us? Through the word, Jesus Christ, and through his words, which are our very life. And it's the same with our words. They produce things. They produce effects. And those effects will either come back to us with good that satisfies us or with bad and things that will dissatisfy us. For example, if you speak true words, you will be developing trustworthiness in your relationships with the people around you. It will come back to you in the form of trust. People will trust you. If you speak kind words, it will likely produce friendship among the relationships around you. It will come back to you in kindness and friendship in that way. You speak blessings, it will likely return upon you with blessings from the people around you. And I don't mean this in a manipulative sense. I don't mean you can really manipulate everybody around you to do what you want with good words. This is just the way God ordered things to work. This is how humanity was meant to operate. We speak good things out there, and it produces good things about us, and it comes back to us. The whole society was meant to be ordered this way, where we're all being satisfied from the fruit of our lips, where what we speak out there produces good and satisfaction. The contrast in the verse, you've got the fruit of his mouth, a man eats what is good, and then Proverbs usually contrasts two things in each verse. And here the contrast is, but the desire of the treacherous is for violence. The desire of the treacherous is for violence. So on the one hand, you have this satisfied person who is speaking well and receiving good because of it. And on the other hand, you have a treacherous person. That means someone who betrays people they should treat well, they treat badly instead, and and thereby are treacherous, and they betray the people around them. They are not satisfied with what is good. They are hungry for something. They have an appetite for something. They have a desire for something. And it says here they have a a desire for violence. Now, we've hit the word violence before in our trek through Proverbs. And we always have to put that into its proper context because I doubt any of you think that you're violent. I bet none of you strangled anybody this morning. I bet none of you punched anybody this morning. Roundhouse kicked anyone. Anything like that. Like, we're not usually in our society physically violent. It does happen. But if you trace the word violent and violence through Proverbs, you'll see that it, it has a broader application than just physically harming people. It's, it's any kind of harm that we stir up for each other. You look through and you can see that it refers to leading someone astray rather than telling them the truth. It can refer to holding back blessings that you should give to someone. Or holding back provision for someone that you should be giving to them. It can refer to slandering people that you ought to be instead protecting their reputation. So there's lots of different ways that we cause harm for one another and ourselves. That's what's in view here. So you have God's path, and then you have the path of sin and folly. 
That's what's being contrasted. God's path is a path of fruitful words and a tummy satisfied with goodness because of it. The path of sin and folly is characterized by treachery, betrayal, and a stomach growling for violence. It's a weird desire to hurt people. Now, I want to dwell on that for just a minute because that can seem like, well, that's clearly talking about somebody else. But it does creep in. I think it creeps in even to to nice folks like us. We can have a foolish and even wicked desire to hurt people sometimes. Someone who has hurt us, for example, or someone who has aggravated us, or someone we disagree with. Well, that's not God's way, and that's not the way that leads to any kind of satisfaction. That's the way of sin and folly. Now, we take the steps down these paths, not with our feet, but with our mouths. Let's look at verse 3. Whoever guards his mouth preserves his life. He who opens wide his lips comes to ruin. Whoever guards his mouth preserves his life. Now, we don't, I don't know if I should divulge this on Facebook Live, but we don't have a gun in our home. Or maybe we do. Maybe this is, maybe I'm trying to fake out the burglars who are listening on Facebook Live. But let's just say for the sake of the sermon, we don't have a gun in our house. Okay, now, now we've discussed the pros and cons, and I know many of you probably have different uh, opinions about it. Uh, there are some Christians that come to a position, you know, total pacifism and no guns ever needed for a Christian. Others of you probably have three or four guns hidden on your person right now. But we've talked about if we ever did have a gun in our house, we would have to be deadly serious about keeping that thing safe, locked away, ammunition separate, because we would never want any kid, our kids, neighbor kids coming over uh, one day in the future, maybe even grandkids, who knows, never want someone getting a hold of that gun. Why? Because they can be extremely dangerous. One pull, one move this much, and you could kill someone. You could kill yourself. Like, they're, they're not something to be taken lightly. And I think many of you who are gun, gun owners, you take it that seriously because you know the potential for deadly danger associated with it. Well, it doesn't take long reading the Bible, especially Proverbs, to see that we need to be the same way about our words. The wise person walking God's path will be very guarded about his or her words. They will keep that mouth guarded, locked down, a night watchman watching over it because they know the danger of reckless words. Wise Christians know you must guard your mouth. There's another proverb. One of the most memorable proverbs to me, for whatever reason, is one that says, where words are many, transgressions are not lacking. You show me a person who talks a lot, and I'll show you a person who is getting in trouble because of their words. It is inevitable. Words can be very dangerous. Jesus taught that it's not what comes into our mouth that defiles us, You know, the religious people of his day were real big about not eating certain foods because it would make you unclean. He said, you know, it's not what goes into you that defiles you. It's what comes out of your mouth that defiles you. For out of the heart, the mouth speaks. And these religious people were careful about what they ate, but they were spewing all kinds of hypocrisy and slander and 
uh, greed and judgment, and so they were defiled. Never underestimate the damage that reckless words can cause. And I know some of you have experienced it. Some of you have been hurt by other people's reckless words, and some of you have, by your own reckless words, triggered a great deal of heartache for yourself and the people around you. Now I'll say some of you, I mean some of us, and I definitely include myself in that. You know, that passage that Julia read said, not many of you should become teachers, and then it went into all this about the danger of our words. You don't speak as many words as I do without mistakenly causing trouble with them, and I definitely have in the course of my ministry. Don't underestimate how damaging reckless words can be. He who opens wide his lips comes to ruin. Recklessness with our words can, can end a long-term friendship. Just go obliterate it. Recklessness with our words can damage your reputation forever. Recklessness with our words can turn people against us. You know, I, I read a news story. I don't really know why this was in the news, but I saw it there of a young woman who had been desperate for a job and finally got one at a daycare and posted on her social media, finally got a job, unfortunately it's in daycare and I hate kids. Posted that on her Facebook. Well, wouldn't you know it, somehow or another, that post circulated around and got back to one of the the hiring managers at the daycare and they revoked the offer. Like, well, if you hate kids, you're not gonna be working here. And I think we've all heard stories like that things that people have said or posted in the past recklessly and thoughtlessly coming back to haunt them way in the present day, which leads me to sort of a special aside for young people in the church. Uh, Well, all of us, but I just want to especially say to young people, be careful what you post. Yeah, I remember when I was a young person, people would say, "Don't don't write it in an email unless you would be okay with it being on the front page of the newspaper. Now, you can tell how outdated that advice is because do young people even email? Probably not. And when's the last time they ever held a physical paper in their hands? But the premise holds true. Don't, don't put it in a text. Don't put it on any kind of social media unless you'd be okay with everybody reading it. Because once it's out there, it's out there. And the damage it can cause is real. And you can ruin your life. And it's ancient wisdom right here. There's nothing new under the sun. Words have always been this way. You just now have more powerful tools. I used to have a BB gun that you needed to be careful with, and now you have a bazooka and a machine gun that you need to be careful with because of the potential damage your words can cause. Wise people know they've got to be careful. So God has given us this clear roadmap. We can walk his way or we can walk the way of sin and folly. His way is a way of satisfaction and safety. If you walk God's ways, you'll be safe and satisfied. You take those steps by uh, good words and guarded mouths. Or you can walk the way of sin and folly. It's a way characterized by hunger and harm to yourself and others. You walk it through steps of treachery and betrayal and reckless words that hurt people, including yourself. And then... Our next and final verse, the passage seems to kind of take a a turn, but it is still connected to the broader theme that God is working out here. So we've seen that when you walk God's path, you'll be satisfied. When you walk God's path, you'll be safe. And finally, when you walk God's 
path, you'll have all you need. You'll have all you need. Verse 4. The soul of the sluggard craves and gets nothing, while the soul of the diligent is richly supplied. As you read through Proverbs, you'll see that the character traits of the wise person and the character traits of the foolish person, they're all intertwined and they are of a piece. So all the character traits of a wise person tend to be found clumped together in a person. And all the traits of a foolish person tend to be all found clumped together in a foolish person. It would be rare for you to find someone who is really careful with their words and speaks very wisely, who is really lazy in their work. Usually, the same person who speaks very carefully and wisely is also very careful and attentive and diligent in their work. And the same on the other end of the spectrum. It would be rare to stumble upon a person who is reckless with their words, causing all kinds of turmoil with their words, but who is a great, attentive, diligent worker. Usually, paired with that recklessness of word is sluggishness of work, which is a great word, the sluggard. That is a great Bible word that I think is very useful in modern times, too. Sluggard. Just put it in your vocabulary. The soul of the sluggard craves and gets nothing. Man, don't you see that work itself out? You know, in your own sluggardly ways, how it brings about craving and desire, but no satisfaction whatsoever. Or you look around and see people you care about who are sluggards, who are lazy, not diligent. And they have cravings, but never satisfaction. I, I see this work itself out in my own life, and I know that you've seen it too. Perpetual unsatisfaction, perpetual craving is the destiny for the sluggard. Now, hungry for a good family, never getting there because not putting in the work. Hungry for good grades, but never getting them because not putting in the time. Hungry for uh, good friendships, but never getting there because not putting in the relational work. I find that the lazier a person is, the more they complain because they're more dissatisfied with their lives. And I say I find that as if I'm talking about other people. I find that in myself. On the other hand, the soul of the diligent is richly supplied. Richly supplied literally means made fat. So you have this one way that leads to unsatisfied perpetual craving and another way that leads to a fatness of soul, just an overabundance of everything that you need for your soul. You know, nowadays, fatness is a real negative because that's the easy thing to be. You have to work hard not to have on extra weight. But back then, that wasn't the case. Uh, fatness then was a sign of prosperity, a sign of an abundance of, of, of good. And that's what he's pointing to here. So all this, I think, is pretty straightforward. Proverbs is that way. It's just kind of straightforward. But what I want to do is put it, put it all together and point you toward Jesus, because otherwise this would not be a good news Christian sermon. This would be a bad news condemning sermon, and we don't want that. So when you walk God's way, generally speaking, you're living by his good order that he designed. You will find that you are more satisfied, safer, and you have all you need. When you walk the way of sin and folly, generally speaking, you will find perpetual 
unsatisfaction in this life. God created things to work in a certain way. Sin has distorted it in all of us. We all wrestle, we'll take one wise step and then we'll take two foolish steps. We wrestle with it every day and every week. I guarantee you can look back over your week and see a great deal of folly. I know that I can. I can see, I can see it in myself. I don't mean I can see it in your week. I would be able to if I knew your whole week, though, because we're all messed up. The good news, as always, is Jesus Christ. Jesus is the way. Jesus is the satisfying way. He is the way, the truth, and the life. Everything that we desire when we're tangled up in this way of sin and folly is found embodied and enabled and offered to us through faith in Jesus Christ. So the message of the sermon isn't, you bunch of foolish people, clean up your act and do better like me. That is absolutely not the message of this sermon. The message of this sermon is, Christians, aren't you grateful that Jesus Christ came down this foolish path to grab us and put us over his shoulder and hike us back up and put us on a smooth, level place on the path of wisdom. And now, through faith in him, we have all the resources we need to live this way, the way God designed. Jesus produces good for all of us and preserves all of us through his words. His apostles told him that his words were life. Through his apostles and the Holy Spirit, we have it preserved here. Jesus took the violence that we have created upon himself, so that we wouldn't have to receive it. Instead of being treacherous, he gave his life for his enemies. He didn't just bless those that blessed him, he blessed those who cursed him. Instead of being violent, he would not snap off a bruised reed. He was incredibly gentle when he walked this earth, and he's incredibly gentle toward us now. And he was crucified in our place for our sins. Jesus' diligence fattens all of our souls. You read through the gospel and the Gospels, and he was diligent about the Father's work, determined to see it through on the cross. And now he diligently intercedes for you and leads our church. He is the head of the church. So the message and the response really is to renew our dedication to walk this satisfying path, and we walk it through faith and allegiance to Jesus Christ. Not our own willpower, not any tips and tricks on how to live a better life. And it's not a matter of huge, grand gestures. I think often we feel like, well, when I'm really called up into service for Christ, it's going to be this big, grand, huge gesture. But it's made up of these little daily steps, as small as word choices, as small as individual tasks at your job or in your home. We're about to sing a song called, uh, Rise Up, O Church of God. And that's our response to this sermon. And we rise up by repenting of the treachery and violence we see in ourselves and embracing the goodness that we can sow through well-chosen words of Christian wisdom, by repenting of recklessness with our words and the ruin that we can bring about, to preserving ourselves and others by guarding our lips well, to repent and turn away from sluggardliness and perpetual craving, and to embrace the diligence that is part of our new good well-ordered life as Christians and point others to the satisfying way that is Jesus Christ. Let's pray. Father, thank you so much for giving us these wonderful words of life, and I pray that they would give, give life to each of us, 
this week, that we would live by what we have read here today, and as we sing these words together, that it would be uh, an anthem of determination that we would rise up as a church and that we would walk this satisfying path, that we would renew our faith in Jesus, our allegiance to him, and that we would determine to live by the Holy Spirit's power in the ways we've heard about today. In Jesus' name, amen.